Hi, this is Hayden Fisher. And this is Kim Gray. And this is the Equalized Podcast, episode number one. We're going to start off today talking about uh, utilities and water, what's wrong with the water and why the city is underwater. And we'll talk first about the city audit that recently came out. Kim, do you want to start with that? Sure. Well, um, from the audit, we understand that there's some serious staffing shortages within um, the Department of Utilities, and um, they aren't tracking those water bills like they're supposed to. Uh, As a council person, this was a constant issue. I actually um, have a neighbor who was across the street from me with a $14,000 water bill. So it it can be pretty serious when, when these things go awry. And I think I just saw that they're now going to start cutting off the water. I guess since the pandemic, they haven't cut the water off. They haven't for non-payment. Right. So people have been um, in a grace period for the past three years, and um, the moratorium on uh, no no turnoffs has been lifted. And I think people are going to be in some desperate situations. So I think that this was a problem that's been looming for a long time. There is some relief. There's a, a website and a third party that will help with a payment plan, but when it's an issue with how it's being calculated and it's thousands of dollars, uh, it may be more difficult to get that situation under control. And according to the audit, there's a $60 million of, backlog of unpaid bills um, so the customers cannot view their bills online. There's no oversight process for tracking delinquent accounts. So it sounds like just a complete and utter disaster. And then they have a 26% shortfall in staffing. I think that's what you're looking to, right? Yes. So they're depending on technologies that aren't quite working to, to read meters. And um, many times the technology is inaccurate or there may be a leak but the leak could be on the city side of your meter and it still counts against the customer. So um, what I found is that there are major issues. You have to be extra proactive to get it resolved. And in many cases, you still will end up owing a ton of money to the city for your water bill. And I imagine it's pretty difficult to get back and try and challenge a bill that's one year old, two years old, three years old. And this audit, I guess Richmond City Auditor Lou Lassiter estimated more than 130,000 bills the past year were wrong. Where they were, it's about 10,000 service lines were estimated for at least half the year, and nearly 4,000 of those service lines were estimated for all 12 months of the year, and they're estimated improperly. So, how in the world are people going to go and try and challenge these water bills now? Wow. And I'm hearing this like you have, you know, somebody that has a $14,000 bill, which is outrageous. But I know condo complexes that were, they provide all the water to the residents. Their bills have doubled and tripled. I've heard from Windsor Farms, people out there have really large water bills. And no one understands why. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And 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 it's across the board. It's not, um, it doesn't discriminate. There are people who are very, um, limited in their income who are experiencing the same thing and thousands of dollars owed with nowhere to turn at this point other than a payment plan to to repay those funds over a period of time so it's it's deja vu all over again i served on the audit committee and um, we cited issues with utilities 
back when I was on city council. So this is just an ongoing problem. Issue. Yes. Um, no one dove in this deep with the, the issues with the bills, but all kinds of issues with that department. And it seems like the um, administration within City Hall is asleep at the wheel. And it's my understanding as well that these bills, once they're not, so if they're not paid, then the city turns off the water. If they're still not paid, they could become utility liens, do they not? They can become a lien against your property. And so then the city can come in and foreclose on a property based on a utility lien, like a tax lien? Typically, they wouldn't foreclose for utilities, but you would not be able to access utilities until it's paid or the property sold and those proceeds would come out of the sale. So if somebody has a $14,000 bill that's wrong and it turns into a utility lien and they can't pay it, they have to sell their property and then it gets paid at closing by the buyer. So they're out that money and there's no way to go back and retroactively challenge it, I think. It's very difficult to challenge anything at the city. Right. And I don't think the city has any idea really what these bills are supposed to be. And it makes you wonder who's in charge of, of coming up with these bills. What's the process? Do you know? It's not just our utility bills, but in the finance department, within that department, there are constant issues with checks that go through, but they, the accounts don't get credited properly. So sometimes these bills will be paid, but it's not credited. So it's any number of issues and their foundational problems within city government. But that's no um, surprise to you, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and how about like city buildings and things like that? How about how's their water? Do they get free water or do they have to pay? Schools well? has to pay their water bills. And um, many cases, the, the average school buildings are still 70 plus years old. So there are lots of leaks, if you can imagine. So they can be hit with pretty exorbitant bills as well. So what were they doing when they were tearing up all the streets a few years ago? And it seemed like every summer a new street got torn up and then they had the pipes running like on top of the street, wasn't that what it was? In many, many areas there there have been upgrades, but every time there's an upgrade in one section, it can create issues down the line. So um, it's, it's a constant battle. And we, we have many parts of our city that still have wooden sewer pipes and um, believe it or not we've got ceramic we've got old cast iron and we've got wood underground and the water flowing through all those different pipes yes so how would when it's treat when the water is treated then it flows through those old pipes how is it clean when it arrives at the residence so the the sewer pipes are the those old um wooden uh, wooden lines I'm not sure what the supply lines look like, but I would be using a filter if I were you. <laughs> um, and so on top of all this mess, then we have the city budget, the proposed budget where Stoney is proposing to raise all these rates. I think it comes out to an average of $8.86 yes. per resident. And there's only one council person who's proposing um, to to not raise utilities and to not raise taxes. That's um, Reva Trammell. So we'll see where that goes. She's she's proposing a decrease in, in real estate taxes. And um, she wants to keep utilities 
where they are, if not decrease them. Right. Doesn't make it make any sense to me to raise these utility rates when we have all these backlog of unpaid bills already. We're in the middle of an inflationary crisis, and we're already I mean, people are already struggling right now. And I think that everyone thinks that we're a lot better than we are because we see these surpluses each year. Uh, much of those surpluses are overpaid taxes, or um, we've seen growth, so there's a lag and. Um, hard times are are likely ahead, and we're going to see some deficits. So increase and making people pay more when their ability to pay is less is is not the answer, in my opinion. And isn't there also 190 like 190 million dollars in deferred maintenance for the city? Don't they have 100 like 190 million dollars in deferred maintenance for utilities, or, or just you in mean ge in general? It's in general. I think I saw that last. I'm not sure. In the last the year. Yeah, it's up there. And schools is, I don't know if that includes our school facilities, but they're really high as well. Speaking of schools, do we know what's going on with Fox Elementary? Well, there there is a commitment in the budget for $15 million in additional funds from what the insurance will cover. So they're saying that by 2024, that school will be rebuilt. And they're going to rebuild it the way it was, or are they going to rebuild a new structure? I mean, it will be a new structure, obviously, but are they trying to recreate what was there? Or are they doing I something? think they're going to try to keep the the outside structure and rebuild it. That was an issue, of utility issue, too, right? Because they had not informed Verizon of the, they hadn't had the 804, is that what it was? So the alarm company right. and the the school district weren't updating those phone numbers with the area code and apparently the calls weren't going out properly and they were they were told i'm pretty sure they were they knew or they should have known that they need to add the 804 to the dialer yeah e an email went out to everyone within the district uh several emails actually updating folks to change those phone numbers that were pre-programmed to make sure they included the area code because we haven't talked about that issue in a while, but that fire is still very mysterious. About did the did the firefighters go in the first? Did they not go in? They did initially, and then they there's went out. There's video. <laughs> oh, that's right. There's, there's video. video of it all. And um, did they ever figure out what the cause of that fire was, or did they ever state? I never heard um, whether or not a determination was made about what caused the fire. Uh, I, it was on the top floor in the ceiling. But it looked like there was something mechanical in that video, right? Kind of coming down, almost like shooting like sparks and flames down. I would imagine it was probably electrical, given the, the age of the building. Right. But I don't think anybody ever definitively said what caused that fire. And you would think they would have issued a report explaining everything that they know and don't know what their conclusions and findings are. But nothing. Well, I think the insurance was threatening non-payment at some point. I saw a school board discussion about. Oh, they were, but they did. They ultimately did pay. I think it's in a pending status that they will pay for it, but there there are additional things that they are not paying, and that's where the fifteen million dollars comes in. 
So do you want to segue and talk about the crime and this new air traffic control center that Mayor Stoney's talking about? Did you see that? Is it the sound? He calls it this thing that's, um, he said, it's, quote, which is going to be an air traffic control for our officers on the ground. It's a more force multiplier. He's talking about um, this new, whatever it is, this crime center or something. So I'm I'm not that versed in what he's planning to do. It's probably grant funded. If I had to imagine, it's probably federal money. But isn't that the kind of opposite of community policing? It is. And you know, because they're trying to tell to me, like, what they're going to be telling officers what to do and not do for some central location. I ran into an officer buying his dinner last night. And um, every night this week, he's worked a 16-hour shift. There are so many shortages of officers in his precinct alone that um, he's in constant overtime and, and totally burnt out. So... Um, I think that more feet on the street makes more sense than investing in these future technologies. And, but he has a, a team of police officers providing him with 24-7 security, right? Well, Reva's asking, there, that's not as, um, as well known. She has put in a request to gain better understanding of the mayor's security detail. and. Uh, how much it's costing us as taxpayers and and what the detail looks like. Is it 24-7? How many officers? Uh, her goal is to put those officers back in, on the street protecting the citizens. Which is where they belong, especially when I heard John Burkett on the radio, I think yesterday morning, and he was indicating that they're up to about 20 murders already in the city of Richmond, which would, if you extrapolate that out, it would be about 80 murders and many of them are in um, Reva's district on the south side. They just found a body uh, two nights ago in a burning shed. So um, many young people, there have been major fights at, at Richmond schools on the south side, and there are community wars happening. So um, she sees the needs in her district, I know. And one of them, a couple of them were in the McDonald's drive-thru, weren't they? Well, there was one at the McDonald's. Drive-thru? A person collapsed in the drive-thru. Oh, he had been shot and then came? I don't know all the details. I got the impression that they ran up to the drive-thru, collapsed, and they were pronounced dead in that drive-thru. Is that the one on Hull Street? Mm-hmm. Southside Plaza. Southside Plaza. All right, what do you want to, what do you, topic do you want to get to now? I wanted to talk about the African, second African burying ground right. and, and how I started off the week. Okay, you want to start there? Sure. So, uh, Lenora McQueen, who is a personal hero of mine, lives, lives in another state, but traveled here this week and uh, presented at the Library of Virginia. And we went out to the second African burying ground and um, we walked the the area and learned. I learned a lot about the history of that burying ground and how it's been since been annexed. And there are burials taking place now on top of the burials that took place there in the 1800s with the people of African descent, free and free and enslaved Africans. So um, 
there's a lot of work to be done educating people, and um, we're going to be working together to um, make sure that we're documenting what we're finding. And um, we found some potential human remains while we were out there, so it was pretty interesting. And didn't you say they, they were taking the human remains they're finding and just tossing them in, the, in with the other graves or with the other That's... areas they're unearthing? That's been the stories that we're hearing. Um, I want to make sure that we're verifying everything. And um, during Gaston, there were stories of, of bones surfacing that were um, just put back in with gravel and um, to shore up the the hill on the side of the the cemetery. So um, there, it's well documented in city council records that. The remains were used as fill for the roadway that goes through there, Fifth and Hospital Streets. So um, back in the day, yes. So there was no secret that um, these bodies were being um, surfaced and not reinterred, but but used as fill for the roadway. Um, the location of the cemetery is conspicuous, and um, its relation to VCU Hospital and um, their need for bodies for their anatomy classes for the medical school. So, really? Um, there's a lot of documentation of grave robbing that went on and um, the use of the bodies from that cemetery. Do you know what time period that would have been? The, the 18, during the 1800s. Oh. And into the 80s um, even, they said that there were some there were some laws in the 1880s. Um, there were laws that were changed that allowed the school to get bodies from institutions like prisons and asylums. So there was a decrease in the in the amount of um, grave robberies that were happening. But there were many, many remains found in the bottom of a well. That's crazy. The, near the first African burying ground, which is in Chaco Bottom. The second African burying ground is in Chaco Hill, right up. And that's what you're talking about. Yes. So what are they? What did? What is this person trying to do to address it? Well, she, what are y'all trying to do? Lenore has um, traced her fourth great grandmother back to this burying ground, and um, really just trying to memorialize the individuals who are buried there and make sure that the space is protected and and not desecrated any further. That just seems insane that that ever happened. It's pretty sad that it continues to happen. And they actually use remains, knowingly use remains, to build a roadway? It's in the record. And and the Hebrew cemetery that annexed on top of the um, African cemetery, that's also in the records, they bought the African burying ground for $200. And then the they annexed beyond that when they ran out of space and the city gave them a, a big chunk of the burying ground for free. So that's something I'll be continuing. Continuing to, to explore? Yes, and I'll be working on it. And we'd like to get some archeologists out to, to actually do a dig and to verify what we're seeing. To me, that seems a lot more controversial than Monuments that were erected that everyone knew have always been here. This is kind of done in the in the dark, it seems. Well, uh, yeah, and a lot of people still don't 
know and they're unaware of where the burying ground is because there's a gas station on top of um, a big portion of it and an abandoned gas station. There's a billboard, um, there's railroad tracks that go by, and um, potentially um, some rail projects would interfere again with this um, site. So um, we are still battling the same same things that we had been with the highway and with the annexation of other cemeteries. It, it is um, baffling to me that we're still dealing with the same issues in 2023. Are there mark, grave markers or names uh, or, or they just kind of, were they removed too? Well, we haven't found any markers. Um, there was a marker for Kitty Carey, which was Lenore's fourth great grandmother. Uh, but it was a wooden marker, and um, there's a poem she found, and it was published in McCall's in 1865, right after um, the powder building blew up, and it cracked her grave in, in half. And um, so I think that there was fill put on top of some of them, so we're still exploring that. What was that explosion that happened? It was in April of 1865, I believe. Was that in connection with the Civil War? Or just... Yes. Okay. Yes. My name is Hayden Fisher. I've been practicing law for about 20 years. About 2008, I formed my own law firm, representing injured people, entrepreneurs, and small businesses. I pride myself on being available to my clients. The best negotiator is a good litigator. And I've obtained favorable results for my clients through negotiation and mediation too. I look forward to helping you with your specific legal needs. For more information, you can visit my website, www.fisherlawrva.com. So speaking of St. Patrick's Day celebrations, did you hear about what the city is doing with these nightclub permits? No, I have not. So the city is now requiring all of these places, if you have live music and dancing after midnight, is requiring these places to apply for conditional use permits and a nightclub permit. I have never heard of this ever being required in the city of Richmond. Apparently, there was some kind of new law or ordinance passed in 2013. Do you remember that? I don't. Were you on council then? No, I was on school board at that time. It sounds like footloose to me. <laughs> Literally, they're citing people for dancing. They say you can't dance without a permit. I'm probably dating myself with that reference. <laughs> no, I, that was my first one too, I guess. But that was my first thought. Is that when we're back in the 80s and Phyllis again, we can't dance, but it's without, they're, but they're shutting places down. Like, is it selective enforcement? It appears to be selectively enforced. At least it was initially, then they've gone back to other places and required them. And some of the newer places um, did get a permit. And I also have a, a dance hall permit. That's the other thing. But just the volume of paperwork is incredible. And of course, they, they didn't give these businesses any notice. They just come in and said, you're violating this ordinance that no one even knew existed. And you have to stop immediately. So, yeah, with city government, it's always about trying to solve problems. And sometimes the people who are making these rules don't necessarily know how to solve problems. It's, it's almost, I made an um, analogy of, you know, we've had a lot of porch pirates and people stealing packages. Uh, I, I believe that some of the people in city council would actually outlaw porches 
to eliminate people from stealing packages from porches. Right, exactly. Um, you've got to go back to what the original problem that they were trying to solve and try to understand that before you can have a breakthrough on how to fix what. I don't know what problem they were trying to. Pro- I don't know what problem they think they're trying to solve. I mean, we had the shooting that happened at the 300 block in East, of East Broad Street. There was a guy, 18 years old, pulls up, gets out of his car, unloads a full clip, eight bullets into somebody who's there, a 36-year-old guy. In the guy. middle of the day. In the middle of the day, right, right by the D.C. police station, gets his car and drives off. They don't catch him until the following day. And interestingly, initially they didn't charge him with murder, even though there's a video that shows everything that happened. Because I know some businesses in that stretch who saw the, saw the video. Right. Um, that has nothing to do with dancing or alcohol or a nightclub permit. You know, and then you had the following week, somebody was shot, I think, at 1130 at Meadow by the 7-Eleven, Meadow yes. and Broad, right across from the new Whole Foods. Yes. Again, that shooting has nothing to do with nightlife. The dance hall. Right. And so these businesses have always operated um, with, you know, DJs and bands and things, Every all of them. And including like Sinead, for example. So one business got shut down, and then Sinead next door did not. And maybe they were grandfathered in, but still, they, when you operate a business that way, especially in the nightlife side, and all of your, a lot of your revenue is coming in through the alcohol sales, and, and a lot of the city doesn't realize that the, the food sales are subsidized by the alcohol sales. Right. And so, I mean, one thing they said, we're going to give you three months to get everything in check. But they just came in and said, stop immediately. And they shut it down. People are out of work. The people are out of work. Right? They did this in December to one place. And all of the bartenders were told they can't work anymore right before Christmas. That's tough. They That's lost, a tough call. I lost three you know. It's a lot of, um, I still get calls from businesses, especially um, in that block of Broad Street that you're talking about, because they moved a bus stop and there's a lot of activity Buses are now free, which, and... Are all buses free? All buses are free, which is a good thing. But when you have an increase of 120% of unsheltered in the city and no shelters for them to go to, they ride the buses. And a lot of, a lot of them are dealing with mental health issues. Many of them are reentering from having been imprisoned. So um, bus stops and the buses can become gathering places for all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things. I didn't realize I knew that the polls had become free during COVID. I didn't realize that all the buses had remained free. All buses are free. I know a couple of years ago they tried to make all buses free for voting. Now they're just free. They're free. It was in the budget. So how's how's GRTC funding that? Richmond City taxes are funding that. The city of Richmond is subsidized. So that's, that's going to be pretty expensive. It's a few million dollars, it is. Is mm-hmm. and but, then, but there's nowhere for folks to go. So if you're, if you're in the cold and in the rain... You hop on a bus and just ride around? You hop on a bus. If you're in the heat and need air conditioning, you hop on a bus. So it is creating issues for commuter riders and other folks who... Um, frequently depend on those buses people need places to congregate safely to be able to get away from the cold and the heat and are they guess they're, they're building a transfer station aren't they 
I'm not sure if that's even... If that's actually happening? Happening. And uh, I talked... I talk frequently with uh, Rhonda Sneed from Blessing Warriors. I spoke with her week before last, and she pulled up on a group of guys, and she brought them some hot meals, and they were like, thank goodness you made it. We were about to go rob someone. We were really hungry. Wow. And um, she said they were they were dead serious. So um, bless them for being out there. They go everywhere. They go under bridges. They go into um, spaces and places that seem very scary, but they're protected and they're they're doing really good work out there. Weren't they putting a lot of them up in the hotels for a period of time? During COVID, there was uh, that COVID money. COVID money that was providing for hotels. So now they're they're working to come up with the long term plan. The shelter that they're planning only has seventy five beds, which is. Grossly in, yeah, it's grossly inadequate. And the, the hotel is over there by the, near that Wawa, right? That was one of the locations. There's another one on Midlothian Turnpike that was utilized for shelter for people who, who were in need during COVID. And I've heard through the grapevine that there's a lot of child and sex trafficking going on in and around that Wawa. Do you know anything about that? I know that there's a lot of, um, there's a heavy criminal element, and I know that there was a lot of investment put in that area when I was on city council, and um, strict requirements for the Wawa and for the other businesses that came in, and now it's it's kind of scary to even go pump gas after dark or, or to utilize any of this services in that area because and they've got is. that big new car wash that's there yes it has a tommy's car wash i guess i'm not sure something like that i don't think it's a tommy's but something like that something like that <laughs> all these atvs all over the city like remember we we saw one yesterday by tools and the guy was doing a wheelie on and on a dirt uh, bike they're four-wheelers there are dirt bikes there are motorcycles and they're on the weekends, it's it's scary to see how they're going up and down, especially down the pulse line. They're going down the pulse line, the red pulse line? Yes. Do we know that where they're coming from or how this started? I think there's just an element of no rules out there. I mean, a lot of people are driving with the bad inspections. People are driving with cars that have you know, things falling off, and I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but and and they're not driving their best. It's a lot of distracted driving. I don't know where it all started. I think 2020 was the catalyst for a lot of the, the things we're seeing now, mm-hmm. and um, we don't have enough officers on the street to address traffic issues when they're dealing with so many people being shot. I noticed when, for example, when I go into court, that the courthouse, the second floor in the morning used to be packed with all right. the tickets, and now you walk in there and there's just not there's just not that many anywhere near what there used to be, but they're just not giving. Obviously, people haven't. I don't think people are driving better. I don't think people are driving better. I think people are um, definitely not getting stopped as much as they have been. And probably the police are probably scared to make these traffic stops because that's where a lot of the problems can arise when you make a traffic stop and somebody decides that they want to run or not cooperate or they might be hesitant i don't think they're 
afraid. Um, when I talk to officers who are out there, they're doing the best they can, and they really have love for the community. The officer I spoke with yesterday owns a home. He bought a, He's a young, a young person who bought a home in the city a couple of years ago and is really committed to making the city of Richmond the best it can be. And, and they've got a tough job out there. He's in one of the toughest areas of the city and um, just 16 hours a day is quite a lot to ask of anybody. And I remember when you sent me pictures of all the shells that you picked up. Mm-hmm. What was that about was that six, eight months ago, maybe? It was on a first Friday. I can't remember quite when it was, but there was a there was an argument and a shootout that ensued. And luckily, it was around 1030. The street had cleared of all the children and other folks who were out there. There were several cars hit and um, it was loud and scary. And then you talked to there's only one, was only one officer that was able to respond to that. He had had another shooting and about three blocks away. And so he wasn't able to be everywhere all at once, but he was, he, he came and handled as much of the situation as he could, but it was, it was pretty scary. Then you tell me that a lot of people are not um, calling 911 and it's not, the call's not answered. Does that happen? So 911 is also facing major staff shortages. So um, it depends on when you call. You may not get a person. Many people are holding on for 30, 45 minutes at a time and still not getting through. Uh, It used to be if you hung up, they would call you back and make sure that you were not in need of emergency services. They don't call back. I thought that's unbelievable, just a basic service of 911. And here we have Stoney talking about this air traffic control center, maybe they should just get 911 working first. Focus on that. Well, I think a lot Baby of... Baby steps. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a lot of the announcements that are um, being made is a smokescreen. I mean, pay no attention to the, the yeah, fact but... <laughs> that your calls aren't being answered by 911. We're going to get this air traffic system. Yeah, what are they going to air traffic? <laughs> I have no idea, but... Um, you know, there are basic things in government that people want and expect, and that's safety, public safety, schools, and good roads. I don't think people have any idea that there's not this 911 problem. I mean, think if you're having a heart attack or something, or your family loved one that just fell or something, if you, somebody breaks into your house, and you call 911, you're told to wait 30, 40 minutes. It's and the event's going to be over. It's happened to me, So, um, and it's happened to many of uh, my neighbors, if you go on next door, you'll see a lot of comments about people calling 911 and not being able to get through. And so then the criminals figure that out, I'm sure. I don't know how much forethought goes in for most right. of the crimes that are happening uh, in the city. But, yeah, if I were trying to plan out my crimes, I would definitely would go where people can't call for help. Right. I'll give another example. I came out of my condo Saturday morning because I had to go to a breakfast at 8.45 and I wanted to go to the gym and work out first. I, I got up at 5 a.m. and I was about to leave at 5.30 and there were blue lights outside. Oh. I looked out the window and there was yellow tape. And I was like, oh, oh no, somebody got shot and, mur- and killed. So is that what happened? 
So I talked to the police officer, and he said that there is a recording studio nearby. And then about 4 a.m., I guess, people came out of there, and, and they found all these shells. Oh. And they heard all the shots. So some people heard shots reported it. They found tons and tons of shells. And... But they didn't find any property damage or any evidence of blood or anything like that. And they called all the hospitals and confirmed there's no... Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up with a gunshot wound. So they think they just these guys just shot up in the air. I have a, I live near a recording studio that's had multiple incidents like that. So really? Must be something about recording studios. Maybe. We probably should give some credit, though. Apparently the new chief of police is doing a great job. That yeah, there's from. uncertainty on whether or not he'll be able to keep the job permanently uh that was one of the concerns that the officer i spoke to yesterday raised he's like we don't know we're in limbo we don't know what our leadership will look like but they're very pleased with the leadership that they have now which is a positive it is it's a good thing hopefully the mayor realizes that's a positive i don't think that he's well connected with what what really matters really matters to the citizens and to the the first responders who we depend on because now he wants to change all these street names as that was also in the budget right i think there's a couple hundred thousand dollars looking at changing street names um one of the one of the things that really stood out to me from monday when i was looking at the burying grounds and um the street names are many of them are still the same so it made it easier to trace where Things are. Some of the streets were moved slightly, but um, it's it's really hard to trace back and to uncover roots when you're dealing with all new street names. It's, yeah, there's some there's some big practical concerns about doing that, and they're changing all the street wants to change all these street names, but the 911 service doesn't work. I'd like to see some money dedicated to this burying ground and making sure that. The boundaries are protected, protected, and and defined. Actually, determined, and um, defined, and making sure that people are made aware that it's even there. The performance the has students. has been declining, and um, each year, and I think that everyone gave a pass for pandemic times, but we're coming out of that and. We're not seeing the the school district rebound like like it should be. So I don't know where we're going. I just know that we need a definitive plan and a cohesive school board and superintendent, which hasn't seemed to happen be happening um, or hasn't happened with this leadership that we have. So um, I've been really surprised at the things that have happened um, in the past few weeks. The chief of staff resigned. Do you know why that happened? She cited that the, um, that it was a, I can't think. She cited her reason for leaving was the um, hostile work environment and the school board. So um, there are hardly any leaders left in the superintendent's cabinet and um, they're talking about year-round schools for about three Richmond public schools but that still leaves more than 40 without a 
a definitive plan. And even with the year-round schooling, it doesn't mean that there's an academic plan that's solid enough to, to lead those kids out of the out of the pits where they are. I mean, more of our students are, are not reading on grade level, more are falling behind when it comes to math and every other subject under the sun. And if you're not reading by the time you're in the third grade on grade level, you're going to fall behind. I think I saw in New York, the state just lowered their levels to try and make it appear that it wasn't as bad as it really is. Yeah, that's going on here. Things are bad everywhere, but Richmond, um, I'm at ground zero seeing it. And our children are losing literacy. And by third grade, you're, you're learning to read. And beyond third grade, you're reading to learn. So if you're, if you're not at the point where you can read to learn, you're struggling your whole entire academic period within K-12. And someone told me not too long ago that they actually look at that number of how many people are reading in the third grade to figure out how many future prison beds they might need. I'm not sure if that's that might be- if that's an urban myth or if that's an accurate depiction of how how some areas might determine how many beds they need for for incarceration purposes. But um, I've heard it over the years. Uh, there is a correlation between not getting a poor education and, and um, transitioning into criminal activity. If your opportunities are few and far between, then you look to the streets to be able to feed your family. I had never heard that phrase, learning to read, then reading, reading to learn. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. So that's why third grade is a, a, a grade that is heavily looked upon because... The way that the foundations are laid for reading and literacy is pretty solidified by third grade. Just invest a bunch of money into these new schools, into new schools. And don't we have new schools? And- there are few new school buildings. Uh, we are we have major shortages of teaching staff. There are um, a lot of long-term subs at one school in particular, one elementary school. There are at least eight long-term subs. I heard from a parent whose daughter is a high-achieving student within Richmond Public Schools, but she's had four teacher change, changes in one subject alone this year. So wow. um, it's, it's a tough environment and um, a lot of turnover with respect to teachers. The number one thing you can do for students to improve their education is to have a highly qualified teacher in front of that classroom, and they're harder and harder to come by. And do you follow the school board? Tended not to. I attended a meeting recently. Um, it was the first time I've been to a school board meeting in several years. It was I was there to support the student representative for the month of February, and um, while I was at that meeting, a parent showed up and her child had um, allegedly been sexually assaulted. I believe the mom. I could not believe that the response that she got. And um, What response did she get? Well, she said that she continued to call the school. The principal said it was, a, it was all done and over with. And she said the principal hung up on her abruptly. 
Um, she walked out of there, and um, I've seen her several times on the news since. Um, she she ended up taking her daughter to the hospital, her five-year-old. Wow. And um, it was pretty pretty graphic and pretty disheartening to hear about her situation. So it's it's hard to um, to go and be an observer because you get pulled in so quickly to the um, the drama of Richmond Public Schools. So especially I, for you, probably having been on the school board. Yes, and uh, I don't think that I would have let that mother walk away. I would have stopped the meeting and asked. Did they do anything? Have they done anything for the perpetrator? It was another child, so I don't. I don't know. The principal stepped down at that particular school. There's some leadership changes. I haven't followed it closely you know, enough. Close, closely. I've only seen the headlines and and a few follow-up news stories. So, what is the school board doing? What are they doing? They're fighting a lot. About what? They have different philosophies philosophies about how the school district should be run and they are um, it's usually a four or five um, split between the nine school board members that at least four want to fire the superintendent and bring in new leadership so it's constant fighting and um, very public belittling and um badgering and I'm not a I'm not a fan of the superintendent but I don't think that he is being treated as fairly as as he should be in the public setting what is their beef with him the four that are want to remove him just think that the they have legitimate concerns it's just how it's not the what it's the how that they're handling those concerns and and there's a lot of politicizing and um, publicly shaming folks and calling out members of staff. So there's been an exodus of, of folks willing to to come and be put on blast constantly with the with the school board with the school leadership. I mean I'd heard that there was a that there was a schism between the Stony administration and the school board on was it George Wythe? is that what it was? On who was going to get the money to build it? And why is that? Why is that such an issue? Because over the years, the city has wanted to keep the money and build the schools for the school district, and because Camrys and Stony are are allies, Camrys agreed with that and said he didn't have the resources to build his own schools and. Um, there are school board members who say, no, give us the money and let us build the schools. We want the school district to do that. There were many, many problems that arose when I was on the school board and schools were being built by the city. So if you got over budget and things needed to be cut, those decisions were being made on the city side. There were programs and things being put into the schools that we weren't aware of, you know, all the new schools Back then, they they built these really expensive rooms with kilns in, in them, but we didn't have instructors that were able to operate them. So um, that's just one small example of why um, not having alignment 
with how school construction goes on with between schools and whoever's building them can cause a lot of problems and overspending in some areas and cuts in areas where they need it. I guess a lot of people probably don't understand why we have a city council and a school board. You know, and where is where is their overlap? And then how's the administration plan? There's a, a growing push again for an appointed school board. I mean, school schools have a very specific role and the school boards have a specific role and that's policy but many many times school board members go deeper and want to um, run the operation and that becomes a major problem so the school board is supposed to make the policy and then the administration is supposed to implement it yes through the superintendent yes and then the principals all report to the superintendent Yes, and they have uh, they have an act, chief academic officer, which we don't have right now. Um, his chief of staff is gone. His chief of operations is gone. So there are many um, leadership positions that aren't there that report up to the superintendent. So there's a disconnect. So the school board doesn't have the ability to hire or fire for the school, I guess. They do, and I think that's been a lot of the holdup. So all the hiring and firing has to, on the recommendation of the superintendent, it comes through the school board. Okay, so the superintendent makes the recommendation, the school board has to approve it? Yes. Or actually do it, be the one to actually vote to do it? Yes. And there's and city council doesn't have any role in the schools, is that right? They fund everything, so they have a big role. So they have to, they have the, they're the funding role? They're the money people. It just seems like there's a lot of unnecessary red tape and unnecessary people trying, a lot of people trying to do the same job. And other localities and other states, school boards have taxing authority. But in Virginia, that's not the case. So you have to every year. And that's what prompted me to leave school board and run for city council. Because if you have to beg and borrow and plead every time you want to get a budget done, then that can... That can be real problematic. And all those all those board seats are up for re-election next year, right? 2024. 2024, so I mean. Yes. Oh, that is next year. <laughs> I know. It's all hard to none. believe it is. Yes. Um, that's another issue because sometimes, uh, and it's happened, that you've had so much turnover that there's everyone's entirely new. So there's no nobody in the room who even knows where the light switches are or the toilets. So. Right, no continuity. No exactly. Basic information being shared. I guess it's actually called the institutional knowledge. Exactly. Know there's, exactly. There's a steep, steep learning curve when you come on a school board. And then Stoney can't run for mayor again, right? Not in this next election. He can only, because he's had his two terms. Right. And so we're going to get a new mayor regardless. Right. And then that person is going to hire the superintendent. Is that how it works? Or does the school board do it? The school board hires the superintendent. The um, s the current superintendent what came in with a new school board, and um, that school board was a majority LeVar Stoney's um, allies and folks. So he had a heavy influence on who got hired and whether or not the um, former superintendent would get to keep his job. I mean, he was telling people before the elections were over that he was getting rid of this, the former superintendent, which is, I think, an overstep. 
And again, when you're also when you're already replacing the whole school board, now you're going to replace the superintendent. They should have at least probably kept them on an interim basis. It's the politics gets in the way. It's a mess. It's a complete mess. And it just seems like a com- the more you talk about it, the more it just seems like at the a end of the day, mess. the children suffer. And they don't have four years. They don't have time to wait. Like I said, they're yeah. in third grade and they're not ready to learn yet. And so, um, there's talk now. I saw that the superintendent announced that he's exploring putting metal detectors in our middle schools. So we've we've gone from you know this whole no resource officers in the buildings and not to search students. But when we have 12 year olds showing up with weapons, you know, there's got to be a, a better solution in keeping the entire school community safe. If you can't keep them safe, they definitely can't teach them. Right. I mean, it's hard enough to be in the school as a kid, but they'll also be worrying about, am I safe as well? parents it, it definitely I worked in a school where uh, a gun was pulled on a teacher and um, we she's no longer in the school district and aren't they still requiring proof of vaccine or weekly testing they are weekly testing all all staff and personnel who are unvaccinated which is mindless for me but I see the it's a team that comes into the buildings and they call out any teachers from the classroom, they pull them from instruction, they call out any staff or teachers who are unvaccinated and make them go take a COVID test once a week. That's insane. Especially since the CDC has... Lifted all the mandatory... Well, there's there's no differentiation between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Natural immunity. In terms of like the spread, Right. Right. This, this is the week of St. Patty's. <laughs> we got to learn a little bit about St. Patrick's yes, Day. Yes, we did. I never knew the reasoning behind um, the wake and the the fake coffin that was carried through O'Toole's yesterday, but it was quite interesting to the, learn. Yeah, Kim and I were at, last, at O'Toole's yesterday talking to the people who were getting ready to carry St. Is it St. Patty, or do they have another name for it? They them? made up a name. What they call Seamus O'Toole. Seamus <laughs> O'Toole. So apparently the story is, I guess, that the, the Irish, the Catholics and the English would not let the Irish have Celebrate festivals. Celebrate any, any Catholic holidays. And so they had to create a, a, a wake and a fake funeral. In order to celebrate St. Patrick, they, they pretended that they had a death. And so that's why on September 16th, there's the Irish wake. For this shameless O'Toole, something they called him. <laughs> yeah, I think they make up a name each year. But they like picked him up and paraded him through. There's the pack bar, and uh, then they had the whole bagpipes and drums and everything out there. It was pretty amazing. Um, Shamrock the Block last weekend. I don't know if you went out to that, but I missed was, that one. It was well attended. We've got St. Patty's events all weekend, and then next weekend. In Churchill, the St. Patrick's celebration. The Irish place. Festival? Yes. So lots of drinking going on in the city. <laughs> well, at least we, we have that. <laughs> Libation. Yes. All right, that's a wrap, Kim. Wow, it was a fun episode one. Fun episode one is now done. <laughs> and VCU has lost. Um, sadly, 
um, we're out of the March Madness. But we have St. Patty's going on tonight. Yes, let's celebrate something. <laughs> <laughs> All right.